Let's have prayer together. Precious Lord, we just do uh, lift up the name of Jesus Christ tonight. We thank you that, uh, as the scripture shares with us, in him we live and move and have our being. Thank you that we can uh, come together to investigate your word and to share together. And we pray that what we do here tonight might bring honor and glory to you. We pray for Jay Davis and for uh, the surgery was done there concerning his lung and uh, with the pneumonia. We just pray, oh, Father, that you would help him to uh, regain his strength and that, Lord, everything would go well. And, uh, Lord, we just pray for a speedy recovery for him. Pray now, Father, for uh, each one who is here that you just might help us to learn what you want us to learn tonight. And we'll be careful to give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, of course, you all know that I'm in mission work and that um, I do retreats with our missionaries every year, and I give them a book that they are required to read. This is a book that I'm requiring for them to read this year when we have our retreats. Um, it was given to me by another pastor, and um, I looked at it and I thought, I don't know, you know whether I'm, but I said, okay free gift, I'm going to read it. I really was impacted by this book. And so when Brother Andy asked me, uh, do you know what you're going to be studying? I said, yes, relevant Christianity. Because one of the things that really is irritating me today is to see that Christianity is not being lived out. What Pastor Andy shared this morning, that's one factor of it, the love. And, and the church is not doing that. We're not showing that kind of love and that care that we used to do. It used to be a normal thing. And uh, this book by these two men, David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons, it's called Good Faith. Living out our faith when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to just everyday experiences in our life. And uh, I'm taking a lot of the things that we'll be doing in the next three weeks from this book. And also, uh, I've chosen the three different areas of scripture that we're going to look at too, but... Um, the liner inside says, being a Christian when society thinks you're irrelevant and extreme. <laughs> and uh, so it is really a great book, and uh, I would encourage you to get it uh, and to read it. But we're calling this series for the next three weeks, Relevant Christianity. Relevant Christianity. And I'm going to just give you, as you see at the top of your notes there, and if I say something too quick and you didn't get the notes, I'll, I'll uh, say it back to you if you need it. Uh, the outline for our study is the first thing we're going to address, which is tonight, I want you and I to look at the situation behind what I believe Christianity has sadly uh, evolved into. It's becoming irrelevant. We're not relevant to our society today. Uh, we, we might think we are, but we're not. And so what is the situation that's caused that? And we're going to look at that. Next week, we want to focus upon a few servants, and there was a lot of them we could pick out, but I went into the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, uh, in Acts 4, uh, 32 through 37. Of course, you have there Barnabas, and, and you have them, uh, uh, if we say the communal living that they had there, and what was demonstrated there. And then, of course, uh, Acts 7, where Stephen, uh, in verses 54 through 60, is when he is martyred for Christ. But there's some real powerful things there that I want us to see as to seeing unfolded before us what is relevant Christianity. And so we're going to use those. And then the last night that we have together, February 4th, uh, we're going to be looking at a solution for you and I becoming those who exhibit relevant Christianity 24-7. Okay? And I'm talking about not just, not just in the community, but at home. Yes, Ray? You didn't tell us what kind of faith in blank faith? 
Blank faith. Real faith. Real faith. That's the name of the book. It's real faith. No, the name of the book is Good Faith. Good Faith. Good Faith. All right. I'm just going to ask us a question to kind of get us started tonight. Why, in your opinion, why do you think that the church today, and, and if you, you think about it, uh, what is it, the millennials have left the church in vast numbers. They don't have nothing to do with the church. And I said, there's a, there's a big reason why, and I usually use it this way, because we have not been authentic. They have not seen authentic Christianity live out before them. So I'm asking you, why do you think, and then I'm going to give you some things here, but why do you think that we're no longer relevant? Why? Or why? Because we're, most of us as Christians today are in the church are, are not any different than the world. Okay. Not different. <clears throat> They're not seeing anything that they can really say, that's exemplary to us. We're not different. We're, we're engaging in the same thing. In fact, one of the statistics, marriage and divorce is identical as it is in the world. Identical. And so if there's anything to this faith and this relationship with Christ, then we ought to be seeing something different, right? But we're not. Yeah. Another one. Another one. Why? Is that the only one? We're not different? Huh? Easily intimidated. Okay. And if I spell wrong, I'm intimidated quickly, so don't, don't make fun of my spelling. All right? But easily intimidated. Yeah. Most Christians have not, and I, and I hate to say this, most Christians have not led one person to Christ in their whole Christian experience. Not one. Now, that, that just blows my mind. But why do we say, well, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't know what to say. I, you're intimidated. Listen, that lady right there, I've been married to her almost in 45 years this May. I love her to death. I'd do anything for her. If I love Jesus as much as I love her, and I ought to love him more, and I do, then I shouldn't be intimidated by anybody or anything. But... We are. And as a result of that, people say, well, then what do they have to offer me? I mean, if it's not that big of a deal, they, they're not really excited about it. Why, sh why should I be? Yeah, so. well, another, re another reason is, uh, you know, not is, is we do not witness for Christ. Oh, yeah. Lack of witnessing. Yeah. Lack of witnessing. And, and that's the case. We, and we're going we're gonna to hit some of those... We're going to hit some of the things on the solution part. We'll, we'll get to those kind of things that you're looking at here, but any others? There's a lot of things in the world that seem more attractive. Okay. Things more attractive. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot of organizations that are a lot more attractive than what? The church, right? <laughs> a lot better, you know? Uh, I think uh, one of the things you said, too, about is that Christians aren't excited about being Christians. Yeah, lack of excitement. It's kind of a ho-hum, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. But we're not really excited about it. No, not excitement. Okay, did I spell right? Oh, E in there, is that right? 
Not excited. Now, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I go to church. Most Christians are not read upon the scriptures. Okay. Very good. Let's just put that on ignorant. Ignorant of the word. And spiritual, spiritual, huh? I can't sorry. Don't worry about it, sweetheart. See, she, she's going she's gonna to be hung up on all the outline stuff and not see what I'm really having to say. But nevertheless, okay. All right, well, I want to get into this and, and help us through this. Because it's been something, and I, I've been in pastoral ministry for 33 years total in our ministry. And I've watched this in the church repeatedly, okay? So, and Christians are not, not real. We're not real. I want you to know, hopefully... When you see Ken Grubb, Ken Grubb's the same here as I am anyplace else. Okay? He's always the same. I'm always the same. I, I like to make people laugh, like to have fun. I wear my cowboy hat, cowboy boots. And That's just who I am. And he likes to sing. And, well, I like to sing too. I'm not that great, but I like to sing. But here's the thing. We just need to be real. Just need to be real. Now, I want you to notice... In this book that David Kinneman, uh, this good faith, and Gabe Lyons wrote, they made this statement, and I quote, In some people's eyes, if you're a devoted Christian today, you're an extremist. That's the label you're going to get, that you're an extremist. If you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, you're an extremist. Well, yeah. If you pray for somebody that you don't know, you're an extremist. I had woke up dreaming about a couple and their family. I was there with them. From the first church I pastored, I got up, went to the restroom, and I started praying for them. Middle of the night, started praying for Ron and Janet Herb. For two days, I tried to get a hold of them on their, their house phone and couldn't get a hold of them. It was busy all the time. So I said, I wonder if I have either one of them in their, their cell phone in. And I had the wife's there. And Ron picked it up. And it was yesterday. I said, Ron, are you and Janet okay? Is the family okay? Yes. I said, well, I just want you to know God has laid you on my heart and I've been praying for you. Now, there's people that are going to say what? That's, why would you worry about it? Because God told me to. I don't know. God told me to. And they were having a problem with their internet and their phone service. So I don't know. God just want me to pray. But I just prayed for them. Whatever the problem is, take care of it. But you're an extremist if you feel that way. If you and I believe that marriage is meant to be between one man and one woman, you're an extremist. No, I believe I'm a biblicist. Right? And if you feel you could give up a good-paying job to do mission work, you're an extremist. I was 50 years old when God decided to call me to go with Bible-Centered Ministries International. 
I was told when I was interviewed by, at that time, my boss. I said, so where do Faith and I stand? He said, you're hired, but we can't pay you. Well, that's nice to know. Because I'm, I'm leaving a church. And I'm not going to get paid. But God provided. Because what? I believe God was in it. But to have people in our world see people that are willing to give up a job, security, to go into mission work, you're an extremist. They'd probably want to add something else. You're an extreme idiot. But, end of quote, by the way. All right. I want to, uh, this book, and, and like I said, there's some things, in, and every book's that way. There's something in this book that I go, eh, I don't know if I agree with that. But the majority of it, I go, wow, what, what, a, I mean, it's just thought-provoking. Very good. There are some statistics that are given, and that's what you have next here. Some revealing facts. Number one, two out of five Americans believe that when it comes to what happens in the country today, people of faith and religion are a part of the problem. Hmm. So, guess what? The government shutdown is a part of us. We're the problem. Right? Well, if, if that's what they're saying here, but any problem that's going on in our country, what's behind it is what? The Christian. The church, we're the problem. A second thing that's given is that 8 out of 10 professing Christians claim that religious freedom has become more restricted. Would you agree with that? It has. And it's only going to get worse. And I kind of want to say this. So be it. You know why? Because anytime the church has been persecuted down through church history, the church has thrived. So if we have that happen, maybe that'll cause us to start witnessing, start what? Being less ignorant about the Word of God and start being what we ought to be, real, okay, relevant. Third thing, the public's perception of the clergy has drastically changed. There is no longer a respect for clergy's input into life. Now, some of that I can blame on clergy, and I'm one. There's a man that I consider a mentor. Right there. He has a track record. I have now a track record. But I've noticed... That just because you're a minister, that does not mean you gain much respect today. <laughs> In fact, I'm an extremist. I'm a right-wing conservative. And I'm labeled. I used to, when I'd go on visitation with people in the church, I'd say, don't tell them I'm a preacher. Don't tell them you're a pastor. You know why I did that? Because I wanted them to be real with me. <laughs> I, wanted to, I, I would just come in and say... Uh, Hello, we're, we're from uh, Coleraine Baptist Church, and uh, we just wanted to come and visit you. Because, see, if they knew I was a preacher, the defense went up. When they don't know I was a preacher, just two people from the church, they'll let their hair down. And that's what I wanted. 
Because I want them to be real so that what? They can see that realness in, in me as well. But clergy have lost that respect. A fourth thing is three out of four adults may have some Christian background. But that's where it begins and that's where it ends. Now, you think of that statistic. Three out of four adults have some type of Christian background. Uh, I told Andy this morning, um, he was using from Charles Wesley. Uh, I came from a Methodist background. I went to the MYF, Methodist Youth Fellowship. Yes, thank you. Methodist Youth Fellowship. But when I went to the Methodist Church, we were called the Shouting Methodists. Okay. Today we're kind of called, uh, <laughs> the Methodists are what? More silent. But I got to tell you, that statistic scares me too, because I came from a Christian background. My grandmother came to know Christ when I was born in 1951. So, um, and my mom came to know the Lord when she was 18. So I have a legacy. But a legacy spiritually doesn't mean diddly squat if we're not relevant. It just says we have a background. I'm a Yankee. I, I know. I, I've shared with our last church I pastored it. I, I, she's not. She's a rebel. Our children are half-breeds. But I, I asked a question. I, I said to the last church I pastored, so if I'm here 10 years, does that make me more of a rebel? And they said, no. How about 15 years? No. I said, what if I told you I bought a cemetery plot in Phoenix City, Alabama, and that's where I'm planning on being buried? They said, well, that just means you're a Yankee who got buried in rebel soil. <laughs> so... Legacy doesn't always have a lot to do with it there. Uh, anyway, notice this uh, next thing. Three out of five American Christians are mostly inactive when it comes to practicing and expressing their faith. Did I, did I read that right? Three, yes, number five. Three in five American Christians are mostly inactive when it comes to practicing or expressing their faith. Does that, does that shake you a little bit? Does it? When I read that statistic, I went, he can't be right. But they did the research on it. <laughs> that's what they've come up with. That, that's overwhelming. <coughs> Sixth one here is that the problem of social concepts have made us irrelevant. Like, listen to this, quote, my life will be better when I'm in charge of my own destiny. And that comes from a Christian. <laughs> did, you, did you hear that? My life will be better when I'm in charge of my own destiny. I believe, now if I understand this correctly, relevant Christianity would state this, a believer's life is not about self-fulfillment, but in glorifying God and fulfilling His purpose. 
Each day I have some things that I pray through, and, and one of the things I pray through is uh, Jeremiah 1.5 is my um, life verse. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. And I quote that verse and I say to the Lord, I realize that I'm here by divine appointment. And I'm in your keeping. I'm under your training for your time and your glory. That's it. That is my destiny. (laughs) But the average Christian doesn't have that kind. And I say, that's sad. Number seven, 69% of adults in America, and breaking that down further, 40% of supposedly practicing Christians feel that any kind of sexual expression between two consenting adults is more than acceptable. What? We're not, we're not talking about the world here. We're talking now 40% of practicing Christians feel that any kind of sexual expression between two consenting adults is more than acceptable. So that's saying Adam and Steve can be together. Isn't that right? Because they can be two consenting adults. That's why we do not have relevant Christianity. That's why it's irrelevant. Because we're identifying with them. We're accepting the policy of what? What the world is adopting to. The last one you have here 79% of adults in our country, and of that 79%, sadly, 61% of professing Christians conclude this. And hold on to your chairs. People can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. I need to read that to you again because it, it made me go, oh, great, Scott. They conclude, professing Christians, 61% of them, that's a pretty good percentage, believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs do not affect society. I am to be contagious as a Christian. If I'm going to be relevant, I need to be that way. And so those statistics just blew my mind. Now, I'm a preacher. So I said, okay, Lord, give me the passages that you want me to have for each of the things that we're going to do the next three weeks. And he did. We're going to look at them, and we're going to go through it and look, hopefully, expositorily at them. Come with me to Hebrews 5. The Bible study I'm teaching on Tuesday nights with four men up in Catala. Uh, We're going through the book of Hebrews. Powerful book. Uh, I'm going to say something here. This is just a, while you're turning there, this is just a rabbit trail. And if Brother David disagrees with me or any of you disagree with me, you can disagree with me. Be wrong the rest of your life, but you can disagree with me. Um, I've always felt that this was not written by the Apostle Paul. One reason why I don't think it was written by the Apostle Paul is that when he referred to Timothy, he referred to him as his brother. He never never referred to Timothy as his brother. He referred to him as what? His son. Some people say it could be Apollos. I believe it was Barnabas. The reason I think Barnabas wrote it is that he was of the tribe of Levi. And it really goes into talking about the Levitical system 
and he would have known that well. Paul was a Pharisee and would have known the law, but Barnabas would have known what? The Levitical system and the comparison with the Melchizedek priesthood and all that goes on. But come with me to chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Remember, we're looking at the situation tonight. The situation has caused irrelevant Christianity. Listen to these words. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. But everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. All right. There it is. Situation is the church today has become irrelevant. We want to come to the place where we're more relevant in witnessing, in being just a Christian in our neighborhoods. How many of you are praying for your neighbors, for their salvation? How many of you have started a, a thing of inviting them over to your house for a meal? Good. We have. We take them meals. Yeah, but see, if you have them come, if you have them come to your house... <laughs> they're in your domain. And I show them a little thing on the TV, God's love letter. And it shares the gospel. And after I show it, I said, would you mind watching this with me for a few minutes? Oh, no, because I just fed him a good meal. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to say? And then what? I let him watch it. And I said, what did you think of that? You don't. Yeah. Do you know why I do that? Because I want to see my neighbors come to Christ. I go around every day and pray for those neighbors. I have some there that profess to be Christian, but they're not living it. I have some that profess to be a Christian, but they're not relevant. And then I have some that just are not. Totally lost. We need to be doing that. That's relevant Christianity. But look what it says here. I believe there's several things that are here in the, in the scripture that I want you to understand. Spiritual leadership are laxed. Spiritual leadership are laxed. Catch this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now who is being addressed here? Those who were in leadership. Those of them who should have known better. He said, you've come to the place where you've lost sight of truth. I got to tell you. I don't want to call them the word I was thinking about. There's people on TV that church people watch that I got to tell you right now aren't worth nothing as far as I'm concerned. They believe in giving you a little bite of Scripture, a little bite, and, and they make their whole uh, tickling of the ears around that one verse, and they smile a lot, and they have 10,000 people that are watching them. You know where I'm at, don't you? 
But you know what's sad? And all have, most of them have lyrics. <laughs> the thing about it, that one I did smiley there, if you research him, he's never had any Bible training whatsoever. It's interesting that <laughs> they're being fed by this guy who's never had a time of even learning. Well, you don't have to go. That's true. I don't believe the disciples went. The Apostle Paul was educated. But a lot of them were fishermen. But they had been with Jesus. That's what marveled the people. Because they were relevant, right? We've lost that in leadership. We've become laxed. I had a pastor say this to me one time. He said, I, uh, I study the word every day for messages and studies that I'm going to be doing with my people. Is there any problem with that? Do you have any problem with that? But I don't have a quiet time. But I'm studying the Word every day for messages. You can't study for a message until you have your heart prepared. You've got to be bold. Yes. And so I'm, I'm telling you, that, that sickens me, Brother David. Doesn't it you? Some of my sermons, most of my sermons, when, when I'm doing my journaling, I'll put in there, good message. <laughs> you know? And I'm going to come back to that. Because what? While I was taking time with the, the Word, with the Lord, He revealed something to me. I'm going, man, I have a message that God gave me in the book of Acts about being on a leash. It, it was in the Scripture. I mean, I was marveled. I went, I never saw that before. I underlined it. went right in my Bible. Good message. <laughs> Can you see it? Are you on a leash? I, I mean, what a title, see? Yeah, someday. Anyway. But notice where we are lax as leadership. First of all, I believe they're lost their spiritual compass. We might say their sense of divine direction. They've lost their spiritual compass. You need someone to teach you again. I will never forget the first ministry that God led Faith and I to was in Princeton, West Virginia. A man who was a self-taught man that had a massive library in his office. And for... 14 months, Preacher Jimmy taught me. Taught me all kinds of things. He taught me the importance of a pastoral visitation. A lot of pastors don't do that anymore. You know what they do? They become great pulpiteers. But they're not pastors. They're not shepherds. And that's, that's bad. He taught me, he, he, I remember this one statement he said to me, Ken, I'm going to give you 15 people that are shut-ins, can't come to church. And I want you to visit them every month. That's where I learned. What? And he said this, Ken, I'm not going to tell you how you can have a large church, but I am going to tell you how you can have a growing church. When you go to visit shut-ins and elderly people, and minister to them, they have children and grandchildren, and those children and grandchildren are going to hear that, what, you came to visit, and they're going to say, you know, they cared enough, that pastor cared enough about coming to see my mom and my grandmother. We ought to go visit that church. Amen. See? That was called pastoral theology. Brother David, did you have that in college? Bible college? Pastoral theology? Well, we did. See, Lancaster Bible College. Oh, never mind. He wrote yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I, that's right. I know that he was a pastor's pastor. He shows that right now. The second thing about leadership being lax has this. 
those who ought to be taking the initiative have forsaken sound doctrine. Did you catch the phrase that the writer Barnabas put here? They've left the first principles of the oracles of God, the prophetic statements that God had made back, what, early. He said, those things that you should have known, guess what? You've forsaken it. Every church that I pastored, I took my doctrinal statement. And see now, this is something I do believe in too. Do you know you can go online now and for $69, you can be declared a reverend. I don't classify them as a reverend. Because I had to go through three hours of questioning over my doctrinal statement defending it before they would consider to ordain me into the ministry. And guess what? I had to know what I was talking about. Here's, my, here's what I believe about bibliology. Here's what I believe about soteriology. Here's what I believe about eschatology. Here's what I, and I had to defend by scriptures what I believe. But a lot of the men are in the pulpits today. They can't, they can't fight them, their way out of a paper bag. Right? And what do we do? We're supposed to learn from them. <laughs> what does he say here? You ought to be taking the initiative for sound doctrine. And guess what? You're not. So is there any reason why we're not having relevant Christianity? Yes. There's the reason. <laughs> there it is. Big reason. Notice, too, that leadership is laxed because they're individuals who should be training others. And they require a refresher course. <laughs> They should be training others, but they're requiring a refresher course. You have come, notice this, you have come to need milk and not solid food. There are so many babies in the church today that are not relevant because they're not studying the Word of God like they should. The average pastor spends seven minutes a day in prayer. Did you hear what I said? The average, I'm not saying our pastor. I know better. But I'm saying the average pastor, statistic, <coughs> seven minutes a day. How much, can you, how much effort there is going to be made then by the rest of the church if they are not setting the example? They ought to be training others. Do you remember... When Sunday nights, there was what? Discipleship training, right? That's what this is. Yes, but this is, this is what this is. I'm thankful that Edgewood Baptist Church is still doing this. I am. There's churches on Sunday nights that have no church. And Wednesday night, if you want to. What do we have Wednesday night? We have a lot of things. We have prayer meeting. We have Bible studies going on. We have what? A lot of things that are taking place to do what? Educate us. Leadership taking responsibility to train others. But some of them have what? They're not doing what they ought to be doing. And then we ask, why is the church irrelevant today? <laughs> it makes sense why, isn't it? You know? I, can, I could not expect my children to develop a habit of quiet time, and it has to be a habit. When my kids were growing up, I'd ask them if they had their quiet time. You didn't. Yeah. 
They're in my house. And if my uh, daughter, particularly, if she had a bad attitude, I'd say, you haven't had your quiet time, have you? No doubt I haven't. <laughs> well, it tells, <laughs> right? My older sister lives around here, doesn't she? I bring her to church. I classify as her brother, her best brother. I'm the only brother, but if she one time got in the car, I'll never forget this. She got in the car and she, it was raining, sprinkling rain. She goes, I hate rain. She was mumbling, complaining. And I, all I did was say, you know, the scripture says, this is a day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, she's never said anything about the rain anymore. See, that's when we become relevant, isn't it? Just little things like that, that make us relevant. But if leadership isn't doing it, those who are responsible, and what's happened is this, they've lost their passion to make their faith real. Have you ever heard these preachers that get up, they, they don't have any excitement anymore. <laughs> Do you know this morning, that's why I said amen when I, Randy was re, uh, Andy was reading Charles Wesley and he got choked up. Amen! Because that shows he has a heart. You know? He has a passion. <clears throat> Praise God. I love to see Andy Johnson up there bouncing around on the stage because he has a passion for music. Man. And it's wonderful, isn't it? That's great. Hallelujah. Because what? There's a passion there. Do you have a passion anymore? You still have a passion that you had when you came to know Christ? You still have that passion? Do people know that you have a passion for Jesus? Did they know that you care about other people? See, I know that this might be the last week you come, so I'm giving it all I got. No. <laughs> come with me to one last area about uh, leadership laxing. It's the result that comes from leaving people to flounder, unable to grow in their faith. When leadership has become lax, as it says here in verse 12, What's the congregation left to do? Flounder. And if they flounder, they're not relevant. And what doesn't happen? The church doesn't grow. Am I right? Doesn't happen. Come with me to the second thing. In verse 13, he adds also that those that could be learning are now losing out. Those who were leadership that were laxed is causing now the next group, those that should be learners, are losing out. Catch what it says. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a what? A babe. What do you feed babies? Milk. That's the start growth. It's not to maintain growth, right? I love, I had the other night, and those of you, see, I, I like what Andy said. I had a doctor one time tell me he was a vegetarian. I let him, you know, I was nice and gracious the first time he said it, I let him go. But the next time I went back to see him, he said, I'm a vegetarian. And I said, that's your problem. I don't eat a steak every day, can't afford it. But 
I got a gift card, and Faith and I went to Texas Roadhouse the other night, and I had, I hate to say it, an eight-ounce sirloin. Thank you. Amen. Because, see, for me now to have chocolate milk is not a thrill. <laughs> but having a little steak is pretty good, isn't it? So that's what he's saying here. Those who want to learn, they want some solid food, all they keep giving them is milk. Now listen, that's what's happening with a lot of these evangelists and televangelists, aren't they? That's what they're doing. They're giving a lot of milk. They're not giving any solid food. You've got to be careful. You've got to be discerning that. Because it's not going to make you relevant. Now I'm going to break this down too. Those who should be learning but are losing is because they're not taught to be spiritually competent. Notice it says if you're only getting milk, you're unskilled. <laughs> now you can be a legacy Christian, can't you? <laughs> but that doesn't mean what? That you're competent to share your faith. We want to learn how to share our faith. In these three weeks, we're going to be talking about various things. And guess what? That's where competent Christians are. I'm serious. That's where competent Christians are. But when you're unskilled, what does it mean? I am not a mechanic. I am not. I am not a, con uh, a contractor. When our kids were little and something would break one of their toys, they'd come to me and say, Daddy, will you, Mommy will fix it. Because, see, they knew what I was going to do is use duct tape. <laughs> I was so glad when they invented duct tape. Man, you could fix most anything with duct tape, can't you? It won't last long, but it'll work for a while. You know. But God didn't call me. He did not call me to be a contractor. He didn't call me to be a mechanic. He did call me by my life verse to be what? A proclaimer, foreteller of the truth of God to what? The nations. That's what he told me to do. And that's what, by God's grace, I'm endeavoring to do. But God asked us to what? Be competent. Notice a second thing. Those who should be learning are losing because they're adopting a soft food diet. I went in to see my pastor friend Gary Hartman in the hospital. <laughs> and after he had uh, bypass surgery done, of course, they had to get him started, his system. So they were giving him a soft food diet. Now see, Gary and I go out every week for a meal. We haven't been able to do it for a while, but I'm going to remind him that he is to pay the next time because I paid before he went into the hospital and, I, and he prayed. So I know now that he's going to pay the next time. Whenever it is, he's going to be paying. But I sat there almost laughing because I gave him a popsicle, jello, and tea. I'm going, oh my goodness. But you know what? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> okay, now I lost my train of thought there. All right. Soft food diet. Any of you like a soft food diet? I don't. Faith didn't come this morning because she wanted to hear me tonight. Can you believe that? She wanted to come hear me tonight? I didn't. That's not true. She has to pace herself, and I knew that. So it was a sacrifice. Well, I, Brother 
Look what it says here. They're partakers or participants in what? Only milk. Only milk. Think about that. If all you're getting is milk. There was a church where I once pastored up in Altoona, Pennsylvania, that the pastor said, because he had a TV program, my people know that when they come to church, they're always going to get a salvation message. That sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? That's milk. If I went, and guess what? That church had a, trans, uh, had a lot of people. They would come, come to know the Christ, and then what? They'd leave and go somewhere else. Why? Because they were getting milk. That is not, <laughs> Brother David, I know that when people come to church, I usually knew those who were new. And guess what? I could weave salvation message into any Bible study that I was doing. Why? I want them to have the solid food, not only salvation, but those who are coming to church on a regular basis need more than just that. I thought Andy's message this morning was excellent. If I'd have been critiquing him in uh, uh, preacher's homiletic, homiletic class, I would have given him an A plus today. Very good delivery. Very good. Because what? He was seeking to give us what? Solid food. You can tell him that, please. Okay, thank you. But let's look at a third thing here as far as those who should be learning but are losing is because everything is extremely watered down. 